be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Church. That was one, wel- welcome to everyone online who's watching and wonderful worship as usual. How many of you guys, uh, is Christmas your favorite time of the year? Amen. Okay. A few of us. It's funny because when we were singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it took me back to when I was in Israel in 2012 when we did a devotional at the Shepherd's Fields where they think that the shepherd, where the angels visited, um, visited uh, the shepherds there. And uh, this took me back. Some of the some of the songs just take me back over there. And uh, so the cool thing about doing Christmas is we get to do some familiar passages of Scripture, you know. And uh, today I want you to turn to uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter one, and we're going to cover the Annunciation to Mary. <coughs> Very familiar passage. And I'm going to sort of take a more devotional approach to this this section, just um, just to change it up a little bit. Um, Luke, Luke chapter one. We're going to look at verses twenty-six to thirty-eight. Are all the lights on? Oh, those back there. Okay, so these are good here. Okay, okay, and. Uh, Gospel of Luke. Luke is actually the biggest uh, gospel. And he's actually, he writes two-parter, Luke and Acts. And uh, we looked last week at at uh, the first section from 5 to 25. But today we're going to look at 26 to 38. It's very, very, very familiar passage of scripture for Christmas time. I'm going to read it and then uh, we'll go through it. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God. Let me just say a prayer real fast. Lord, I just pray that you would um, fill me with your Holy Spirit. As you told Jeremiah, I will put my words in your mouth. Let these be your words, Lord, not mine. I'm just a vessel, Lord. You have the words of life. Open our eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
For that reason, the holy child will be called the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived and bared and conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, Luke had, has started his gospel, first of all, with an introduction that says, hey, Theophilus, the one I'm writing to, the one who's paying for me to do this, I'm going to write to you in a consecutive order things about Jesus. Right? So it's very detailed. And what Luke does from chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 25, is, is he has a scene with Zechariah, or Zacharias, Zechariah is Hebrew, Zacharias is Greek. Okay, same person. Zechariah, or Zacharias, and Elizabeth, the announcement of the birth of, J- of John the Baptist. And then he follows that with a visitation to, to Mary. Both are visited by Gabriel, the angel. Gabriel, we've seen before in the book of Daniel, who gives uh, answers to prayer concerning the, the future of Israel to Daniel. If you want to turn off, is the fan too high? Can we turn off the fan? Um, and so what Luke is doing here, is that, who said yes? Okay, good. We have, I, I see your hand. <laughs> so what Luke is doing here is, this is intentional. He's opening up two very similar scenes. The angel Gabriel visits Zacharias to announce the coming, the birth of, of, his, of you know, John the Baptist through his wife Elizabeth, who's old and barren. And then he visits Mary. And we're meant to see a contrast between the two. In fact, we didn't get to the section, but Elizabeth will make a statement that sort of summarizes the two. The responses of Zacharias was one of unbelief. How do I know this is for certain? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the Lord's presence. (laughs) I'm sent by God. Can't you tell I'm an angel? (laughs) You're not going to be able to speak for nine months. (laughs) Mary says, how can this thing be? I'm a virgin. Not one a statement of doubt, but one a statement of, how does this all work? I've never known a man. The difference, of course, between is how they respond. And Elizabeth will make a statement in verse 45, which we're probably not going to cover on a Sunday. Blessed is the one who uh, believed that there will be fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to her by the Lord. As if to say, Mary, you responded correctly. Zacharias, unfortunately, did but we're meant to see now two sides. We have John in the first section, and then Jesus. And John, of course, is slowly, uh, slowly, not slowly, is closely related to Christ in so many ways. He's the cousin of Jesus, but he's also the forerunner of Jesus as one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. He prepares the way for Jesus, but he's not Jesus, and he's not as great as Jesus. Though he's special, he will always point to the greatness of Christ as more than himself. I must decrease, he'll say later on, he must increase. I'm not the Christ, he's the Christ, even from birth. And so in the scene here, we have Gabriel, who was sent to Zacharias, now is sent to, to Mary. Now there's a big difference too. Zacharias in the first scene is a priest, He's performing a priestly function in Jerusalem, 
in the temple, in the holy place. He gets special, he has a, a once in a lifetime event where he gets the opportunity to present incense before the Lord. Very special. Meanwhile, people are outside praying. It's in Jerusalem, the center of Jewish religious life, right? Great things are meant for Jerusalem. And here's Zechariah, the priest in the temple, the holy place, who's visited by the angel. In the next scene, though, the same angel, six months later, the first verse says, in the sixth month, that refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth being pregnant. That same angel is now sent northward to an area of, of the country called Galilee. Not in Jerusalem, but in Galilee, which was associated with the Gentiles. Isaiah says, in Galilee of the Gentiles, you know, there will be a great light, Jesus. To a place called Nazareth. In fact, he had to tell you, Nazareth's in Galilee. Nazareth is so small, I have to tell you exactly what area. But it's so different, because now this annunciation of the birth of Christ is not associated with Jewish, uh, uh, Jerusalem, uh, the Jewish center. It's in some village that you that you may not be able to find on a gps map back then it was only about 60 acres big maybe 400 people lived in nazareth the reputation was not great because later on in john's gospel when philip finds his friend nathaniel and says hey nathaniel we found the messiah jesus of nazareth his his explanation was can anything good come out of nazareth it was one of those towns where you didn't go through. It was kind of like Gila Bend. No offense to Gila Bend. But the best thing you might do in Gila Bend is get gas and maybe stop at McDonald's or something, you know, on your way to somewhere else, to San Diego. You know, again, no offense to people living in Gila Bend. Ouch. But now think about the significance, though, of that small place is now greatly significant because God decided to choose to have his son be born in a lady from a little village like that. This whole scene is, is, is wrapped, if we're talking about Christmas time, wrapped within the grace of God. Why would God go to, why not go to Jerusalem and pick some, some daughter of a high priest? It says that Elizabeth and Zacharias were righteous. They were blameless. They were faithful, Right? God has heard your prayers, Zacharias, and you'll have a son. You don't get that in the statement that, that Gabriel makes to Mary. He doesn't say, Mary, you're such a, you're, you, you've been faithful, you've been righteous, and God has heard your prayers. All we know about Mary is she's a virgin, and she's married to Joseph, and she's from just a little town that no one knows about. That's the grace of God. The grace of God that where he would go to an unknown place, to an unknown person, to an obscure, um, out-of-the-limelight type thing. Sometimes we think that God only chooses the people who are getting the limelight. But God does His work often in most secret places, out of the sight of man, choosing people that no one else would choose. You and I might be the, I remember growing up, I was the last one who would be chosen on a team. This is not to glorify myself, it's just to be truthful. <laughs> I wasn't that guy. That's the grace of God. It's almost as if to say, you're too good, I need somebody, who, no, I need somebody who's, who's weaker than you, who's lesser known than you, to use that person. 
because I want to be glorified. I don't want them. That's what God does. God's work is often in the most unknown people. No one else sees. There's no camera crew, no applause center, no nothing like that. It's in secret. Many of us here are like that. God's work is active in our lives. We're not, we don't get the attention of the crowd, but God is working. First of all, I want to uh, point out the, uh, the gracious message. And of course, I'm, I'm going to point out some things and then try to you know, give it to, you know, some devotional aspect. In verse 26, now the sixth month, uh, the sixth month of his pregnancy, the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. By the way, Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in any of the rabbinic writings. It's not m- mentioned in the Midrash or the Talmud. In fact, some scholars didn't, they thought the Bible was wrong until they discovered, okay, yeah, Nazareth actually did exist. And it has no mention anywhere. Later on, Matthew will call Jesus the, Na- the he'll, he'll play, do a play on words with um, Natser in Hebrew with Nazareth. It's a play on words. But basically, Nazareth was unknown. Very small village. Um, it, was, it wasn't even on, on a main road. I mean, you had to, you had to go off-road to find this place. And yet God, by virtue of the fact that he decided to have his son born there, in these circumstances, tells me, first of all, he's, he's the savior of the whole world. Not just the Jewish people. Now he's going to Gentile territory to have his son be born. It's the grace of God. The gracious message that, that he brings to Mary is this. First of all, he goes to her who's a virgin. Verse 27. A virgin. Uh, it's, it's a virgin. It also means a young lady who's, who, who could be marriageable age who has not been with a man. We know what virgin means, right? I don't need to explain that and get into all the... I've read articles on discussion about translation of, 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 the, of the Old Testament word a virgin with the New Testament. I'm not going to get into all that. That's, I can point you to that. The point is this person, Mary, who may be 12, she may be 14, and she's already married. Now, the marriage in those days was this, that you would be arranged by your parents, and then you would be married, but then for after the initial arrangements were made, for the next year, the, the, the husband, Joseph, would go back to his dad's place and maybe build an addition onto the house or a new place. But a year of waiting. During this year, while he is away, she's still considered to be his wife. In fact, if he dies, she's considered to be a widow, even though they haven't been together conjugally, right? That happens later on. So here's Mary, or Miriam is her in Hebrew, who is married to Joseph, but yet not has not been with Joseph. And of course, God chooses her graciously um, to demonstrate his power, in fact, it's interesting that, you know, we know that Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 7.14 talks about the virgin um, giving birth. Uh, this will be a sign for you. And I, and I can get into uh, what that all means with the real context. But I'm not gonna, the point is, is that she has not been with anybody. And here she is, probably 14, being visited by an angel with the most amazing news one could ever hear. She is, uh, she's married to, to, uh, to Joseph. 
We don't know much about Joseph. We think perhaps Joseph dies later on, but because he's married to Joseph and because Joseph will become Jesus' legal father by adoption, which means that legally he'll be in the heir. In fact, both Mary and Joseph can trace their lineage back to David to be in the line of the throne. Again, Luke gets into that, Matthew gets into that as well. But here, that God would graciously visit and use a young person who's inexperienced to do wonderful things. Again, he could have went to the high priest in Jerusalem, pick somebody who, who's expecting the Messiah to come in a profound way, but he chose to use a young, inexperienced young lady that no one knows about and put his son in her. God's gracious work does not depend on what we have to offer him, only our availability, amen? I'm not going to get as much, like I said, because we are familiar with the passage. Verse 28, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Or it could be the word, the greeting there is, is, um, it's the word Cairo, um, not the city in Egypt. It's Cairo is spelled differently. It means, I'm glad to see you. Good day. It means, um, I'm wishing you well today. It's good to see you type of greeting, right? Um, it's, it means to rejoice and be glad. In fact, the root from it is the word joy. Okay. It says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is, wi- is with you. The word favored one is a related word to greeting, the greeting word. This word is related to joy. This word favored is related to grace. In fact, the root of grace and joy are similar. Joy and grace are linked. the grace of God that brings us joy, amen? When you know that God's favors upon you, your joy ought to be great. And, and all this is uninvited to Mary, right? This is coming out of nowhere. Is it, where did this come from? And that's what her, she's going to be thinking that. Greetings, joy to you, most favored one. The one who has been, who is going to be favored or be shown grace. Now, why is she shown grace? Now, our Catholic friends will take this verse because they take the translation of the Vulgate. The Vulgate translated this, you know, they call it, you know, Hail Mary, Ave Maria, Hail Mary, full of grace. And the way the Vulgate translated it, it seemed to imply that Mary was given all this grace so that then she's the bestower of grace on others. That's where the Catholic doctrine comes from. And the Vulgate was a translation, you know, Jerome did it, and there was a translation for a thousand years, you know. And, uh, but no, 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 it's, it's, Mary is the recipient of grace, not because of anything that in, in her, it's just because God's, see, when God decides to show favor, it's by his own, his own gracious choice. And favor means that God's going to do something special in your life. That God's going to be with you in a special way. 
greetings, favored one. He said the same word to Gideon back in the Old Testament. Same idea. And Gideon, of course, is hiding out in, in a wine press, threshing wheat. You, you, you thresh wheat higher up where you can throw it up in the air and the wind can take the, the chaff away. Well, here he's hiding out because the Midianites are looking out. You know, they're everywhere. And he has to go. He's, he's got to get some food, right? So he's, and it goes, he's visited by angel and the angel calls him favorable as well. He goes, me? Who are you talking to me? See, God's grace is undeserved, right? And it's unexpected. Mary has found grace with the Lord because he has graciously chosen to work through her. Now, she's going to be among all women that has ever existed. Yeah, she's going to have a special place. Let's not deny that. Like, come on, let's just, let's, just, let's just be real about that. But it's never because she is now the, the, the bestower of grace. It's all because God just decided to choose her, to use her in a very special way. God bless her, right? To bring her, bring her son. The basis for Mary or anyone to receive grace is all within the heart of God. In fact, look at the second point I have is her surprise at God's grace. Look at verse 29. But she's very perplexed, it says. She's very perplexed at this statement and kept wondering what kind of salutation this was. In fact, the angel has not yet even said the good news, right? I'm gonna get, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're still a virgin. He hasn't got to that. She's still stuck on greetings, favored one. <laughs> the Lord is with you. <laughs> In fact, the word there for perplexed is the same kind of word that Zacharias uses when it says that he was troubled back in... Um, There are a couple things I'm praying for. Pause in heaven. There's one with better eyesight, okay, and a good singing voice, okay. So if you see me in heaven and I can see you clearly and I can see like an angel, God is good, right? Anyway, but in verse 12 of verse chapter one, verse 12, it says he's troubled. Okay, Mary's perplexing uh, reaction is the same word, but even more intense. It's the word diatarasso, means to be confused, to be troubled, to to be greatly disturbed. She's, she's, it's, t- it's rattled her, not rattled her cage, but sort of just, it's just caught her off guard, right? And she's like, what? What, 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 what is this statement? What? She's surprised at the grace of God. She's surprised that God even sees her in such a gracious way. Joy to you, O favored one. Greetings to you, favored one. And it's causing her to think. See, we, like Mary, are often unaware of how God sees us as a believer. Amen? Oftentimes, we don't have God's perspective on how he views us. Now, in Christ, that's a whole, that's another level, right? That's, that we are, in, those of us who are in Christ are as if he's seen Jesus. And that, and so my perspective of myself and how I think God sees me it's not that good, okay? It's not that good, because I know myself, and I beat myself up. But grace, God's grace, and his perspective of you and I is in a whole different category that 
you, you mean, really? You're favored. Not just Mary, all of us who believe in Christ. Amen? Would to God that we would have God's perspective on our lives. And be more gracious as He is gracious. That's why they were surprised. It says that they were um, later on that when he's preaching and teaching at a synagogue and he's, he's, he's sharing, it says, and they were wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. Jesus meets, who does he meet? Oh, Nathaniel. Oh, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. How do you know me? I saw you. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. Right? The, the vision of God, what God sees is in a different category. And he sees, especially if, first of all, you're made in his image. You have value. Tremendous value and worth. Angels wonder at that. Like, they wonder at that. You and I are made in the image of God. God sent his own son to stand in your place because of his gracious love for you. Not of anything you and I deserve. I can point to Zacharias and Elizabeth and say they were righteous, they were blameless, and they prayed. All I see about Mary is that she's a virgin and she's married. I don't know anything else about her. But yet she's favored. You and I are favored. It's interesting that Mary, of course, is very perplexed at this because she's also very humble. She's very humble. The humble are unaware of themselves, nor are they aware of the gracious view that God has of them. In fact, that's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. God's grace is often surprising, perplexing, hard to understand, how to receive. Why? Because we know ourselves. And here she is. She's perplexed. And it says also she's pondering. She kept pondering. The word pondering is dialogizomai. It's got the word dialogue in it. She's re-going re through in her mind, going back and forth in her mind, weighing, engaging of, of, the, of the statement that's, that she's heard. And it's new to her. It's, it's kind of troubling because it's nothing she's not used to thinking. That's why we're supposed to renew our mind to thinking rightly about ourselves and about God. Amen? I mean, she might have been a fearful, and it does say she's afraid because he tells her not to be afraid. In fact, that's what he, he says in verse 30. He goes, do not be afraid, Mary. Maybe she's, there's all this stuff going on. You're, bam, this angel comes on the scene. and doesn't describe what he looks like, but we know she knows this an angel. Sometimes, sometimes you know when you've encountered an angel, and it's okay. <laughs> How do you explain this, you know? fact, if God's grace brings joy, God's, God's grace ought to also free us from fear. Look what it says in verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. And, and in, in line with the theme of knowing God's grace and, knowing, and, and that leading to joy and having his perspective of our life, knowing his favor, his grace of, of your life, of you, ought to free you from, 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 from the fear. I mean, um, I'm bringing in First John where he says, perfect love cast out fear, for fear involves punishment. It's that change of perspective. 
And our favor before God is only because of Jesus Christ. It's only because God is a gracious God who chooses to bestow His grace on us through Christ. We don't deserve it. We are simply to receive it. And some of us have a hard time receiving it. Right? Many of us have self-inflicted wounds. Some of us don't struggle with that, so God bless you. <laughs> but some of us have our time there because we don't know how to be gracious because we understand, well, I don't deserve grace. Amen. Who deserves grace? God, Adam and Eve sinned. God could have said, all right, that's enough. Next. But the fact that even at the very first sin in Genesis 3, God makes a promise. He says, serpent, there's going to become one. Through the seed of a woman, intent, virgin birth, although it's not developed fully until Isaiah, we know that, but there's a hint of the trajectory of God's promise that it's going to come through somebody unusual, somebody born of the seed of the woman. How does that happen? Okay, this is, this is how it's happening, you know. And he is going to crush your head, serpent. He's going to take care of business. And that's what he did. Amen. Knowing God's grace and favor will free us from fear. Just receive it. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive. Now he gets to the good news part, right? Let's move. We've, we've, we're just initially introduced to the grace of God. Now it's how God's going to use her. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. I am not going to be able to go through all the detail of everything he's going to say about Jesus because, because of, just of time. But know this is that first of all, God's gracious favor outweighs our expectations. Watch this. Greetings, joyful, favored one. The Lord is with you. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the son of God. <laughs> I'm laughing because isn't it love God to give you more than you expect? I mean, Jesus, I mean, Jesus is God's best, amen? Now, God could have sent, you know, some religions believe that God sent an angel to, to do the work. God could have, you know, they say, well, if God sent the angel, Michael, you know, and some, that, that group says Michael did, you know. No, no, God says, I'm going to send a little angel. I'm going to send my best. I'm going to give you more, you know. Grace upon grace type idea. Wave upon wave of his favor. Mary, behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh, the Lord, saves. His very name describes who he is. The Lord saves. God's work in and through you, first of all, is going to be all his work. It's all going to concern his son. Now, there are seven things he describes about Jesus in these next two verses. First of all, he says, one, you're going to conceive and bear a son. Isaiah, of course, hints at that. He says the virgin will give birth to you know, a child. His name will be called Emmanuel. And, of course, in Isaiah's day, perhaps there was a little boy named Emmanuel running around to encourage the people of Israel that day. But, of course, Matthew will say, but there's a greater fulfillment in an even darker period of time, that we'll have Emmanuel, God, with us in a special way through a virgin. 
This is what Matthew will tell us. Second, you'll name, his, you'll name him Jesus. Thirdly, he will be great. That word great, like megos, it's also used to describe God. It's used as an epitaph for God in Deuteronomy 10, 17, and applied to Christ in Titus 2, 13. Fourthly, he will be called the Son of the Most High. This isn't just, Mary, you're going to have a baby, just call him Jesus, and it's going to be wonderful. That, that could have done it for the girl, right? That could, have, that could have been enough. But now, it's a son. His name is Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. But wait, there's more, he says. Because not only is he going to be, the, by nature of God, just by these first few statements, the next three is this. He'll be, he'll be the Messiah. He'll be, first of all, given the throne of David. David, of course, was promised that after you, David, will come, I'll have a, a king on your throne who will, who will live forever, basically. And they always waited. Who is that person going to be? It wasn't Solomon and it wasn't any of other David's sons. And so the anticipation was, when is the Messiah coming? Because the Messiah will reign on David's throne. And this goes into 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 2, uh, Psalm 89, Isaiah 9, all, uh, you know, like the verse we learned from last week. The government blessed on his shoulders, and he'll be called the Son of God. He'll be called Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So the, all that. It's their anticipation of all this. Mary understands that's what they've been expecting. In fact, many of the Jewish girls were, were hoping that they would be their mother of the Messiah. Now, no one knows how that was, you know, was going to play out. So here, a surprise. God says, I'm going to give my son to you. Sixthly, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And seventhly, his kingdom will never end. That Jesus Christ is ruling right now. Now, he's not physically on planet Earth, but that doesn't hurt him at all. He's going to come back. We anticipate his coming. And right now, he's sitting at the Father, as the Scripture says, waiting until his enemies are put as a footstool for his feet. Right? We've talked about that in the book of Hebrews. Daniel 7, 14 says, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. Mary, you're going to give birth to God in the flesh, who's also the Messiah, the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know about you, but if I, if I, if I, if Mary's reaction to her, his initial greeting was one of being perplexed and pondering, it doesn't say what her reaction here is, other than come again, <laughs> you know, that God would do that. Verse thirty-two: I, He will be great, called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him his throne of his father David. Here, the focus of what, G, what God's telling Mary, first of all, is not just on the birth, but on the person and the work of Christ. What's interesting that what's missing is any talk of the crucifixion at this point, because she doesn't need to know that right now, right? That will come. It ultimately, it's who he is. It's Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, God in the flesh, Jesus isn't just going to come to 
to be born, but to rule. And by giving his son, God has kept his most important promise to bring a savior and deliverer, the king, through his son. You know, I was, uh, and again, I'm, there's a lot that I'm, I'm not going through just because of time and because, just because this is what I'm thinking the Lord wants me to do. But I know Mary has this reaction in verse 34, but here's what gets me. As I was looking at this, okay, if I'm, I'm thinking about the grace of God, and I'm thinking about, you know, Mary's not great because of something about her. She's great because she's associated with Christ. It's Christ who puts her on this. It's Christ who makes the change in all of our lives, isn't it? But here's what gets me. I was just thinking about this. this God the Father, that God would entrust the, the, the birth, the care of his most precious son to a 12, 14-year-old girl who lives in, well, she doesn't live in Phoenix. She's not near, she's not near a great hospital. They have no ultrasound machines. They don't have trained physicians to make sure the baby's not breached. They don't have any of that. She lives in a, in a town, and she's going to be traveling. You know the story. She'll be traveling on, the, on a donkey miles and going. And there's no room at the inn. You know the whole story that God would entrust his son. Here's my little care package. To this little, to this young this inexperience. She hasn't lived life yet. Now, I don't know if that's not if that's not great, God's grace, because sometimes we, we everything that God gives to us is a, is a trust from Him to us. Not that He can trust us; is that He's entrusting us with something of His Son. Now, we don't have the privilege of giving birth to Jesus and raising Him. But what of whatever of Christ He's given to you and I? There is a trust in that. question will be, what, what, what did you do with my son Jesus? Did you nurture that relationship with him? Or did you leave him outside? I'm doing off camera here. As he says in Revelation, I, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? He's talking to the church there. Let me in. Let me in. It's one thing to read about Mary, and she's unique about giving birth to Christ and raising Christ, but now it's like Paul says, well, he, he makes this statement, and, and oh, just stay where you're at. And I know it's not the same context, but the idea is similar. He says that my children, he says to Galatians, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. 
Every one of us, by virtue of, if, if you're a believer in Christ, there's something, Christ dwells in us, right? He's uh, he physically in, in heaven, but his holy, by his Holy Spirit, he dwells in us, right? And now there's opportunity for nurturing of that, for growth in that, for developing that, for what do you, what do, you do with that? I, that? That's a whole other meditation we could do on, right? Mary is entrusted. God entrusted Mary with the care of his son. It's interesting that God is starting off this way with grace. I'm, I'm saying this word because every time I was shredding this, I'm like, boy, this is not what I expect. This is not, you know, he says later on, it says, you know, the law is realized through Moses, grace and truth are realized through Jesus Christ. And he begins this way by allowing him, his son, by Jesus being born of, inexperienced virgin in a Galilee Gentile area, though she's Jewish and she's unknown. This is, this is not what we expect and this is, this is how God's grace works. This is really how God's grace works. Where am I at? What verse am I at? I lost my place. Oh, oh. Verse 34. There's 44, 34. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Okay, that's a good question. Zechariah's question was, give me a sign. How about I know you're telling me the truth here? And Gabriel, and Gabriel says, hey, I'm Gabriel. I came from, I stand in God's presence. It's me and Michael who are named in the Bible other than, you know, in the apocryphal writings, they have other angels. In. But only me and Michael, and here I am sent to you uh, I'm going to give you nine months to think about <laughs> in quiet and quiet meditation to listen. Mary's question is not from doubt. It's really, it's an honest question. How does a virgin have a child when she goes, I have never been with a man before. How does that work? Explain how that works. And that's what he does. How can this be since I'm a virgin? Of course, he's going to explain the role of the Holy Spirit there. But one thing I want to point out in this verse, in verse 34, is that we are often blind to, or we can't understand, how God is able to accomplish His will. Like, we want to have some involvement in His will, right? Mary's going to find out, Mary, it's going to be all me. It's going to be my Holy Spirit. You have a part to play, but the real work is my work. See, God's, the fulfillment of God's will for our lives is not dependent on our abilities, only on our availability and willingness. See, sometimes we think we have to, I mean, imagine Mary, it's like, well, how do I... Do I do exercises or eat a certain way to get this conception thing to work? No. It's like, no, no. And we want to have our names in the credits, don't we? <laughs> it was me and God. <laughs> and God says, no, 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 no. Salvation begins and ends with me. It says all my work.
I don't like, I want to have a part to play. Okay, be willing and obedient and submissive. Amen? See, God's work in us is not dependent on us. That's why He chooses. Look at the pattern of Scripture. He chooses the most unlikely of people, an old guy named Abram and his wife Sarah, who gets birth at the age of 90. She's had a history of being barren, and now she's going to give birth. And Gideon, who's a scaredy cat, is going to be the leader of a tr- not millions or thousands of people, but 300 men against thousands and thousands of Midianites. I mean, the most unlike a guy, an old man with a staff to set a million people free from the powers of Egypt. And just that's the track record. The most unlikely of people, the most unqualified of people, the most inexperienced of people that God will use. Who does Jesus choose to be his disciples? Fishermen, tax collectors, the rejects. Yeah, he picks the Apostle Paul later on, but boy, Paul had to relearn and sort of, you know, it wasn't, he was going really strong at being a Pharisee, really, really faithful to be a Pharisee, and God, Jesus says, no, 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 no. All of us. That's the point here. What God can accomplish in a newer place named Nazareth, in an inexperienced virgin named Mary, in an old barren woman named Elizabeth, which he's going to reference this, in one who lacks understanding, in the humble, and the ones who have nothing to offer to God. That's the point. I have nothing to offer, Lord, just I'm here. Use me. The one who is not used to hearing the gracious words is the one and Mary and other of us who don't think much of ourselves. The work that God does in those who are unaware of how God views them and unaware of how God wants to use them, every single person in this room, if you've heard about Jesus Christ and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in Mary's camp, and God says, I want to use you in a special way. And guess what? The work he does for Mary is different than the work he does with Elizabeth, which is different than the work he does for Nick and, and Sharon. And Rayetta. It's unique. And the difference, what makes, makes any one of us different is the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen? Verse 35, The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Again, I'm not going to go into great detail into a statement here, other than to say that only the Holy Spirit will produce what's holy in your life. Uh, the, the Catholic Church later on in... 1800 and oh, it was 1865 it was like 1800 and something they decided that mary must have been born without sin that's called the immaculate conception that's their doctrine that they think that mary was born without sin um, and you know in one sense they give honor to mary but i think they, they move too far they you know make her make her you know they basically worship her i don't want to get into that i was raised catholic so i know I know the thing. I know that. But here's the thing. 
is that everything that's going to happen in her life is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Says he's going to overshadow you. The word overshadow is the same word that it's, it speaks of the, the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. Like in the, in the transfiguration when Jesus transfigures and to, to show us who he really is and he's all bright and this cloud comes down. That's the, so this idea of the presence of the, of the Holy Spirit to do something miraculous. It's actually a, 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 a picture of Genesis 1 where darkness was over the surface of the waters and the Spirit of God was there. And out of, out of dark, dead, lifeless nothingness and, and stuff, material, the Spirit of God did something miraculous. That's why this is another side thing. God spoke this stuff into existence and said, let there be this, let there be, and then he created, let there be life, you know? Without the Spirit of God, there is no life anywhere, in any existence, in any galaxy. You can go look in all the galaxies a million miles away or 10 billion miles away, and guess what? Unless God said there's going to be life, there's not going to be life. Life only happens because the Spirit of God has produced life there. That's why he says, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. How's that going to happen? You've got to be, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, Nick. Only the Holy Spirit can do which is holy in our lives. It speaks to his creative function here. Verse 36, behold, here's proof. Again, behold, even your Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and she has been called, who was called barren is now in her sixth month. It, this implies that Mary didn't know about Elizabeth's pregnancy, right? Oh, here's what happens. Oftentimes, God is working in somebody else's life without you re- realizing it. Doesn't. Or in your life, and they don't know it. Elizabeth's been pregnant. She's been hiding out. In fact, it says that Elizabeth, back up in verse 24, Elizabeth uh, conceived. She kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Elizabeth's been hiding out and enjoying what God has done for her. We don't know what God does in each person's life, do we? But it's interesting what he does in each person's life. He brings it together to do something great, right? Even in our church. What God has done and he's doing, how he's building this church. My prayer has always been, Lord, you build this church. This is your church. I don't want this church to be a personality. I, I'm not, I don't want that. I don't want to create, I don't want to gumption up, I don't want to, you know, assemble it all together, make it all work, you know, and create a show. I don't want to do that. I'm like, what do you do? It's your church. I don't have the smarts. I'm not, I'm not good. And look, the people he's brought so far, there's this, there's this, I don't know about you, but there's this love and this unity. He's, he's brought, he's doing something here. Amen? Okay, we got an amen there. We got, a, we got charismatic back there. He says Amen. But that's God's work, and that's really what we want. Lord, what you create is, I mean, and he could take the mess of people and, and, and just do something wonderful. Something that no leadership school or college course can, t- can do. This is a work of God. And that's what he's telling Mary. This is a work of God. God's powerful work in others is a sign of his gracious work he wants to do in our lives. Let me say it again. God's powerful work in others is a sign of the gracious works he, works he wants. So you say, well, he's doing that in her life. Well, guess what? He also wants to do it in your life as well, but maybe in a different way. So there's hope. 
Don't think, oh, I'm, I'm apart from the rest of them because I'm the exception. No, 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 no. <laughs> God's like an artist, right? An artist, I can't figure them out. They <laughs> but they know how to do this creative thing. He's in the, God is in the business of taking the most extreme scenarios a virgin young lady and changing them and doing something. Taking a barren woman named Elizabeth and making her mother of somebody who was dead and now was alive, somebody who was lost and now was found. That's God. Now look at the statement in verse 37. This is, listen, listen um, the Holy Spirit's going to do this to you. It's his work in verse 35. By the way, he's already done this in Elizabeth, verse 36. For nothing will be impossible with God. I can preach a whole message on this, that statement. The power of God, the, 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 the amazing, there's no limitations to God. He spoke and worlds come into existence. I can just, I can, I'm, I can go off on that. Let me just say one statement, okay? In the, the word impossible is not in God's vocabulary. The word impossible is not in God's vocabulary. It may be in your or my vocabulary, but the impossible is not in his vocabulary. He doesn't say, I, you know, I can't do that. I can't. But here's what he wants to do. He is, with all things God, with all things God, every, what's the word I'm looking for? With God, all things are possible. He said this to Abraham and Sarah. God is interested in doing the impossible in the humble, in the ones who have nothing to offer, in the ones who are undeserving to reveal his grace, to demonstrate his power, and to reveal his son. That's why in the book of Acts, when the church was, became alive with, with the giving of the Holy Spirit, and they're doing all kinds of wonderful things. We're like, how is this happening, you know? And Peter says, it's the Holy Spirit, as Joel prophesied. I'm going to pour out my spirit on him. How, how is it possible? Because God's involved. And finally, look at Mary's response to God's grace. Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, or I, or once I should say, say, says the slave of the Lord, this is how she sees herself. I'm a servant of God. Not, I'm a co-ruler a co of God because I'm God's mother. No. I am a servant of God. But later on, when we look at her magnificent, she's going to give testimony all to God, not to herself. But behold, the bondslave of the Lord may it be done to me according to your... Okay, I... I'm going to humbly submit, Lord, your will for my life. Amen? See, simple faith accepts God's gracious promise to do the seemingly impossible. Now with Mary, let's say, let me say it again, okay? Simple faith. I'm going to say, put it this way. Simple faith accepts God's good and gracious promise. Some things are hard for us to believe, Right? What is that song by Keith Green? Oh, Keith Green, who writes this, he writes wonderful music. He's with the Lord. He talks about how, how certain things are hard for him to accept, hard to believe because his pride gets in the way. And we and and this simple faith 
Simple faith accepts the good and gracious promise of God just by faith. She doesn't say, I have nothing to offer to God. She just says, I'm going to accept God's promise to do the seemingly impossible. Impossible of my understanding, not impossible of his understanding. Mary doesn't need to know all the details. She doesn't need to understand everything about it. How does that work? Give me the psych, give me the biology of this God. Now, does it mean this, that, you know? No, no, no. I accept it. May God's will be done. Now, here, when she says that, she also understands, and this is where some people get afraid of God's will. They say, well, if I give into God's will, bad things will happen. No, if you give into God's will, there may be challenges ahead, yeah. Mary realizes she's going to be a pregnant teenage young lady of, and Joseph's not the dad. But she trusts Lord, the Lord with all that as well. But may, your, may your will be done. May, may it be done according to your will. I don't know what's going to happen. She is an example of a believer who responds out of obedience and humble submission to the will of God. And what God does do, of course, you know the story. Jesus, of course, is going to be born. And Mary is going to say, you listen to my son. She knows she's favored by God. She's entrusted by God with this wonderful, this wonderful calling to raise his son. And she's willing, because she has simple faith, that accepts God's good and gracious promise. I don't know what perhaps thing that God has called you to, other than to demonstrate his son. But maybe there's something that you've been struggling with. That God, being like, Lord, I don't know. I'm afraid here. God is gracious enough to, to lead you and protect you and to accomplish his will in your life. Amen? Maybe follow her example and say, Lord, be it done according to your will. I'm just going to trust you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we do have an example in, in Mary of humble submission. We also, Lord, have an example of how gracious you are to one of you simple people for you to do great things in and through. Lord, we have nothing to offer you except our willingness and humble submission to your will. Lord, I want to pray for anyone maybe who's struggling with yielding to perhaps trusting you in a particular calling or area that you want to use them in. Lord, I pray for the, the gracious enablement of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for each person in here and those who are watching, everyone who, uh, who you have brought together, Lord, that you will continue the work that you've started, that you would, so to speak, give and cause your son to grow within us, so to speak, Lord. Raise us to be a, a church that so glorifies Christ 
that there'll be no, no question, Lord, that the Spirit of God is here and that's evident in the life He's given to us. And so, Lord, we pray, I pray that You would glorify Your Son in us corporately as a church, but also individually. Lord, I want to pray um, for some uh, uh, people that we know that are unsaved. In fact, everyone here, in your, in your mind and in your heart, offer up those people to the Lord. Uh, we have neighbors, Lord, who don't know you, uh, who we've been praying for. We, we pray for our unsaved neighbors and loved ones, that they would also experience Christ in us, Lord, that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts and bring salvation to them as well. Lord, we ask your blessing on the rest of our week and help us, Lord, to constantly look and sit at your feet and look at you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. One of these days I'm going to memorize the ironic blessing in Hebrew, but <laughs> not today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Gracious. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. His peace. That's my prayer for you in Jesus' name. Have a blessed week. And we'll see you guys next time. Okay? God bless.